Hello and welcome to the Comedians Outly podcast. This week I am joined by a professional comedian called Aaron Simmons. He has been a finalist of the BBC New Comedy. He has been voted the Jewish Comedian of the Year. He's appeared on BBC Three, BBC Radio Four Extra, BBC Radio Five Live. And before comedy, he was a professional international basketball player and also a world champion powerlifter. And he's been described in Chortle as a class act. Yeah. So uh, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you very much. I feel that's too big an introduction. Uh, too big of an introduction. Yeah, well, there, there, there was, yeah there are some... Like, it sounds very impressive when you list it like that, but I've been doing this a long time, and to get those kind of things, things seems like... Oh my god, he's done everything. I really have done very little with my life. There's a lot of sitting around as well. Yeah, so you've been going for about five years then, you Yes. Said, yeah. And so partway through that, 2017, you, you were a finalist at the BBC New Comedy Award. Yeah. Um, how did that change like your career? It was massive. Um, I, I can't overstate it enough. Obviously, you never know the road not taken. And, you know, it may have been that from that point, I would have naturally progressed in the way that I have. Uh, but from, from before that, I was an open spot comedian i was getting gigs because i could drive other comedians from london to the gigs and i would do fine for 10 minutes yeah um and from then it all sort of so it all sort of came together at the same time so um the the semi-final and the final of the bbc was in edinburgh um that year and i had sort of a, a 20 minute spot and mm. so I was getting used to doing 20 minutes every day. And so it was quite nice that I got a little bit more recognition uh, and got better at the same time rather than getting better and being like, right, why has nobody noticed this? Right, or getting noticed first and then being like, I haven't got 20 minutes. So it was quite a nice balance. Um, and yeah, from there, it's really taken off, which is, you know, brilliant. And I'm really happy with how it's going. But yeah. it, I do attribute attribute a lot of that success to that five minute set i did on the bbc yeah i think i think um you should give yourself a bit of credit there i mean because a lot there are some comedians that have done have done such things before they're ready to do to do like the bbc like comedy awards and things like that and and they haven't maybe got like the stage time or the 20 minutes like Mm. you say you had but you'd already been you'd already been at it for a a few years before that point yeah i mean i don't i don't want to sound like i'm being overly like the reason why I now get booked is because I do a good 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but it was the thing that opened the door in order for me to be able to show that I could do a good 20 minutes because I, uh, before that Edinburgh, I wasn't getting booked for 20s. Is uh, Irrespective of how good my 20 would have been, Yeah. I just wasn't getting that opportunity. Uh, I was very lucky to take it and I, and I worked hard in order to make sure that I've got a good 20 and that 20 is always evolving. But it was one of those things that it just gave enough of the door to be opened for me to then go through it. Sure, sure. So if, 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 if there's anyone who hasn't um, seen you perform before, how would you yep. summarise like, your set and the content you talk about? So, uh, so I, I tell stories from my life, um, and it's mainly about my, my experience of being a wheelchair user. Uh, obviously, it's not exclusively that, but that takes such a huge part of my life uh, and how people interact with me differently than they would 
from able-bodied people um, that I talk about that a lot and that's what really interests me um, so yeah so it's basically funny stories from my life have you got any that you could share with us today I haven't prepared anything at all uh, sure okay. I mean so uh, I have a story where on my first ever date I was 18 years old and I went to kiss the girl I was on a date with and she backed away now that is awkward for any guy <laughs> yeah but I Been don't there. Have, well did you do this, Luke? I don't have great core stability. I <laughs> fell on her lap. Uh, she then panics. She jumps up and she ran out the bar. Oh, dear. Yeah, the manager then came over and he went, oh, my God, mate, are you okay? And I said, yes, but my carer is a complete bitch. Um, and so that is one of the f- many things that happened wow. to me because I have cerebral palsy. How much has cerebral palsy held you back in terms of getting from gig to gig? So I'm very lucky in the fact that I have cerebral palsy, but I'm still able to walk. I'm, I'm, I am able to carry my chair upstairs. Now, I know that a lot of disabled people aren't able to do that, um, but I, I'm very fortunate to be in that position. So it personally hasn't held me back at all. Um, yeah. I do know that there are other wheelchair users who are trying to make it in comedy who genuinely can't get on stage. Like, it is so difficult. It's difficult anyway with the amount of comedians there are, but for an actually fully wheelchair-accessible club, um, I can think of a handful, and those are towards the more professional... Those are towards the more professional end of uh, comedy clubs rather than the open mic. And it's very... You know, you can't expect to go to the comedy store and be like right i need to do you 20 minutes here because it's the only place that's weird that's wheelchair accessible you won't get a 20 minute spot there because it's the comedy store so um it's a it's a very difficult game if you are aren't able to uh to you know navigate upstairs of pubs and basements of pubs um, most of these sort of yeah, comedy clubs are in those yeah, places. Yeah, I mean, my second favourite place in the world is downstairs, and my favourite place in the world is upstairs, So, um, which is where most comedy takes place. Yeah. I, I, do, I think comedy is always funny when you have to go downstairs. I don't know what it is. It can be the <laughs> same room, but if you have to go downstairs rather than upstairs, it's genuinely funnier. What's your thought on this? <laughs> well, you- I, I, run, I run a comedy club at um, the Boathouse at the moment in Cambridge, okay. which is upstairs. Then it's definitely funnier upstairs. Uh, yeah. But however, however, I'm just about to move, potentially move um, that venue or take a new venue yeah. to the CB2 Bistro, which has got a basement yep. downstairs. So it'd be interesting to do a compare and contrast, maybe get the same lineup yeah. and see if you get the I'm same audience members. A, I'll be happy to do the gig for both yeah. sides of it to show my point. I'll work especially hard on the <laughs> upstairs one yes. to make sure it's a fair test. Yeah, I, that's interesting, that is. I mean, I've, I've done downstairs at the King's Head, which is a, a very good fun gig. Mm. Have you done that one before? I've, yeah, I have, not for a long time, because uh, Pete will only book you if you call between 9 and, and 12. 11. Yeah. Uh, 9 and 11 now, okay, yeah. great. I'm definitely not going to make that. Uh, <laughs> like, I like sleep. Remember, um, we, we, we do a night a nightlife. It's a nightlife. Yeah, so exactly. Like, and I used to have to work and do this job and now that I don't I take full advantage of that so when you're constructing your material and everything mm-hmm. have you got any sort of rituals that you you go by um no not particularly so it depends on how it comes about so a lot of the time it will 
if I think of something funny during everyday life, I will, I, depending on how sort of well formed it is as a bit, I'll either go home and I'll think about it and I'll try and write it out as much as possible. My belief, and this was probably came from the fact that when I started comedy, I could only do it once a week yeah. because I was working evenings, was I wanted to do as much as I could to make the gig as valuable as possible. I see. And so if I really worked on making sure that every everything had a joke, set up on a punchline, or, or uh, at the end of an anecdote, there was a big laugh. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that was the case, so that if I did deliver it well, and I, and I practiced it a lot, and I could then tell whether or not it was funny. Now, the fact that I gig more now, and the fact that I have a better understanding of what will generally be funny... I tend not to do that too much, and I, I sort of occasionally will just go on stage with an idea, and I'll think, and I'll think, well, I might be able to think of a punchline to this, um, but I'm, I generally, generally try and think of the jokes before stage. Um, obviously, you're always recording the stuff, and and if you improvise something, then you can go, oh, maybe that can come in next time, or or maybe wait, think of a way of putting that in initially. Uh, but generally, I will try and make it as stage ready as I can before I get on stage. Okay, so but you're at that place now. Then that you, if you really needed to, you could go on like like an MCing can be like that when you go up with an idea, a few a little bit of material, but you have to everything sort of happens organically. And yeah, sense. I mean, I th- I'm very different when I MC. I don't like doing material when I MC. Yeah, uh, just because I think it's a real chance to do something different and and i think it it brings the room together if you're if you're just funny with what's happening in the room everyone is present and listening and and facing the right direction and all that kind of stuff uh if you're you go on as an mc and you just start telling jokes or you start telling bits or routines it it doesn't really help the acts and my thing with emceeing is like I see myself as the defensive midfielder when I'm MCing. Yeah, My job yeah. is to win the ball back and give it to the other players. And uh, that is a football analogy. Um, I can come <laughs> up with a different analogy for all you non-football fans. But that's the, that's the premise that I work off. And my job is to make sure they have as good a gig as possible. Yeah, um, and if sure. I come on and I do my best 10 minutes and you know they can't follow me, then I'm not doing anybody's anybody any favors so i like to just chat to the audience get a little bit of banter going and then bring them on in terms of the new stuff it also depends on what i'm writing for so if i have an idea that could be like a club bit or that's not connected to anything then i'll go to a new material night and i'll hash it out but there are some stuff because i'm writing my show at the minute that is so specific to the show you really need sort of 40 minutes of the stuff I've told you about previously for any of it to work, yeah, yeah. that it becomes a bit more tricky. And you, again, you know, I try and make sure it's as, as fully formed as possible by the time I get on stage so that when I've done 40 minutes of jokes already, I don't have to, th- I don't go, okay, well now I've got to think of a joke whilst talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's very sensible for a preview. So I try and make it as, as fully formed as possible. Okay. Okay, and and um, I do ask this quite often with, with comedians because it's always I always get a different answer back from every yep. single one of them. And have you got have you got like uh, what's your elimination process for a bit? Like, have you? 
Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. Well, I like it. Um, Thank you very much. Cheers. I, I, I thought of it all on my own. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can be quite brutal from time to time. Like, I've, I've certainly done bits once and never again. Yeah. Um, I, will, I will give stuff a fair go. I, the thing is, I always think that I am a fair judge. And if I do it and I don't like it, straight off the bat, I'm not doing it again. Um, but I tend to give them sort of three outings yeah. minimum. Okay, three um, outings. So, so if, it, if it works twice out of, out of three, yeah. then that's all right. Well, uh, three outings to get something. And okay. so then you've got to rework it. And I see. A lot of my stuff is story, so a lot of it is... Could either, change the order yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. there's either too much detail or not enough detail. Yeah. And so chopping and changing and, and, you know, there are some things that work and there are some things that don't. And, and so, yeah, so if, if, if one of the bits of the story works, then you can exaggerate that part of the story or emphasise that part of the story. Yeah. Or if you get unexpected laughs, you can yeah. accentuate something. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think part of... Um, what I find interesting and difficult about being a storyteller is there are some bits of a story that need to be in. So I was talking to another comedian who is just jokes. Um, yes. and, and, you know, there's no connection to any of it. They just tell the jokes they want to tell. And so they can be a lot more brutal than I can because mm. they go, well, this joke doesn't work. See you later. But if I'm doing a, a story where I need to tell... Um, the audience about how my car is voice activated and I have to get the passenger to say go, I need to be able to make that joke work because later on in the story, I'm going to get my girlfriend to say it and she's going to say something different or she's going to realise I'm being a twat or whatever the, the punchline of the story is. So it's a, it's a difficult balance to get right um, and that... I kind of like that because it just means that you have to look at everything at a different yeah, angle yeah. and be like, no, this bit has to work. I need to make a way of making this work. I need to find a way of making this work, sorry. And eventually those bits do work, Yeah, um, which is really, really nice. Yeah, that's a great answer um, for a, a great question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mark Simmons, he's also a great, great comedian. He's yep, just my just, brother. Your brother? No. No? Um, he does it without is it. Is it a different spelling? Yeah. I just realised that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not a one-liner comedian, but that felt a little bit like a pun. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the thing about it is I've done a couple of gigs with Mark, and it's always yeah. sad to be on the bill where you are the second funniest person with your own name. Because um, <laughs> he's a very funny boy. Very funny. Very, very... Yeah, so he's a great comedian, and if he is listening to this, then... Um, for the benefit of the recording, I did put my thumbs up then uh, <laughs> with a cheesy smile. But he's, he's, he started his own podcast called um, Jokes, yep. where he gets comedians on, and then yeah. they, they talk about the jokes that didn't work. And then yeah. so, and, and often what happens is that they, they re, um, like rediscover a joke and actually get it back up to a point where mm. it could be used again. Is, is there anything in the past that you um, look at or you've written or you've scrapped that you've brought back to make a link or a segue? Um. I was going to do one of my earliest jokes, but I, I'm going to pass on that. Uh, right. That would have been a lovely, that would have been a lovely bit. Well, save, um, it, save it for um, Mark Simmons' yeah. uh, podcast. Well, no, I, uh, I used to do a joke about how I'm not good at segueing because I can't stand up. And, um, oh, I killed the punchline. Already. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, mate. No worries. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, um, 
are there any bits? I, at the minute, no. There are some things that go away for a little bit, and then I come back to them. Uh, I remember my first ever joke that I wrote was um, a very long-winded version of... So basically, the, the I'll try to remember how badly I told it at the beginning. It was... Uh, I get a lot of questions about why I've started to do comedy. Uh, like, do you not like the mornings? No, that's not it. Do you uh, want to change people, the way people uh, perceive disabled people? And it's like, no. Uh, the reason why I want to be a comedian is so that when people ask me what I do, I can say, stand up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I, that was the first joke I ever wrote. I was like, right, that's, that's my opener. Clearly, that makes sense. Uh, even then, I was like, that's, that's the opening joke that says who I am. A couple of years after that, I changed it to my favorite thing about being a comedian is when somebody asks me what I do, I tell them stand up. And it's so much shorter and so much better yeah. and worked so much more consistently with that that I decided that I did bring it back at that point. I didn't mm. necessarily do it as an opener. It was, it was sort of hidden in the middle. Um, but it's, it's not in my set anymore because I think it's a bit easy. Um, okay. Ah, he's got to that point now where there, some bits are just too easy to Well, use. yeah, I mean, it's just such an obvious joke. And, like, whenever, whenever I talk to a non-comedian and they go, huh, it's funny that you do stand-up and you're not stand And I'm like, yeah, it's... It's one plus one equals two. It's funny, but everyone can see it coming. And, and it's, it's what I want to try and avoid is the punchline being, and then I was in a wheelchair. And, like, and that kind of, like, like, they asked me to to run the bakery. And I said, I can't run. I'm in a wheelchair. Like, I want to try and avoid that because I think that's, that is easy to do. Yeah. It's quite I, common, isn't it? I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not the same jokes, but similar premises that yeah, absolutely. are recognisable. You know, it's, I wouldn't say it is hack at the minute, but that's because the amount of disabled comedians there are is so much less than the amount of straight white men that are doing jokes <laughs> about Tinder, right? Yes, and, yes, And yes. I think that if, if, you know, all the disabled comics did do that, it would become hack very quickly. But I think there's so much more funny stuff that you can talk about being in a wheelchair and people's perception of you and how your interactions with, dis- with able-bodied people and other disabled people are different to how most people interact with people because it is just a completely different viewpoint of the world. And I think if you were to, to, to sort of trivialise it in terms of, well, I can make a stand-up joke here. It's, it's so much... It's, that is not even scratching the surface. It's not even getting close to the surface. It's around it. You're going, oh, well, that's a joke. That'll do. And I don't believe that you should do that. I think you should work to make the jokes as good yeah. as you can make them be. And, and whilst you don't, like, outwardly want to break stigmas or all, all that sort of stuff, there's not your aim for doing comedy. You wanted to do it because you enjoy doing it and that's what you yeah. love doing. Um, whether you like it or not, going deeper than just such jokes mm. like that one is going to break down stigmas and it's yes. going to do good for well, other disabled so. people. And- um, I do hope so. I think one of the things that I would really like is for people to not see disability as such binarism. Um, yes. I think 
generally speaking you can or you can't yeah Yeah. and but generally speaking i think there are two main stereotypes of disabled people it's it's people that are unable to do anything and that need a carer and need someone to hold a packet of crisps for them um and that need doors opening and you know everything done for them and then there's paralympians and there's no real gray area no real in between for most disabled people and and from my experience of disability uh, is that there are a lot of very capable disabled people that are able to live their life in whatever way they want and yeah they may have to find a different uh, route on the tube to make sure there are no stairs or they might have to uh, take an uber rather than take public transport but like I think that a lot of disabled people are capable of doing stuff and I think to have that uh, black and whiteism for disability is sort of can lead to a lot of uh, situations that I personally don't like finding myself in and I do feel like I need to explain myself a lot and it would be great that uh, after you know I think it's moving in the right direction I need to point that out yeah like I think that if in five ten fifteen years time people have a better understanding of what disability is and how to interact with disabled people in a, in a slightly better way I think that would be a really uh, yeah. positive thing and I don't think I don't think it's that people are seeing anything bad with dis- oh, disabled not, people yeah. I think it's more ignorant and that maybe they don't quite understand but that's why it's really important for comedians and, and anyone with a sort of public voice mm. to be speaking about these things and doing these things because it, it does start that conversation absolutely you know? yeah and like I've never met anybody who's like you know who I hate well, these fucking disabled people. Like, oh, get all the best parkings. But like, that's never. I've never experienced that. Yeah. Um. And you know, I, I don't think there will be a case for for that to happen. But I think that even if there is no negative outward negativity towards disabled people as a as a group or as a uh, as a people, um, I still think identifying them as one or the other is not ideal and hopefully it will get to a stage where people will be not generalized and treated based on their individual merits and capabilities yeah and i I think that to be honest that that is a sort of a i think that needs to happen across the board in all sort of marginalization or or attitudes towards um anyone really like you know but it's conversations like this that that will break those stigmas and And it's not it's not the driving force for what we do and why we do comedy. I'm, mm. I would say that probably be an inspiration to do comedy and to do that sort yeah. of stuff. And I'm sure, like you say, like most of your material is inspired by Absolutely. being disabled. Yeah. And, and you probably wouldn't be the same comedian without it. Yeah, but, no, I agree with that. I actually um, have serious doubts about whether I would be a comedian full stop. Not necessarily in terms of... Um, not having the material or not being funny or whatever, I I don't think the uh, drive that I had to be um, understood or validated from a from a group of strangers would be there if I was fully able bodied. Yeah. Then again, your disability doesn't define you as a comedian. No, it's just. It's just been you. You've experienced hardships, and they've yeah. inspired you to see the humour inside. Well, them. hardships is a strong term. I'm a straight white man. I've got plenty of, of benefits as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's true. I I just think that if I mean, it's such a huge part of my uh, life that it does. Not only does it genuinely affect 
you know, things on a day-to-day level in the fact that um, I I do need to plan tube journeys based on whether they're stairs or escalators or yeah, lifts yeah. or whatever. But also, um, going, going back when I was a, a teenager and, and even before then, you know, the... Uh, the mental side of sort of all teenagers feel they're misunderstood and, yeah, and that yeah. they're, they're different and they're, they're nobody else understands and all that kind of teenage angst. But what I found when I was a teenager is that I attributed it to my disability and I the see. fact that uh, like, so I didn't get anywhere with girls when I was sort of 15, 16 and I, and I, all my friends were, and I was like, well, they're getting with girls. I'm not getting with girls. They're not disabled. I am disabled. It's clearly because I'm disabled. Now, as it turns out, it was my personality and hygiene that was the big issues between me and getting laid when I was that age. But the way that affects your life and that your attitude towards yourself is huge. And it was only when I started meeting other disabled people that I <clears throat> was like, oh, it's not the fact that they're, they're disabled, they're still getting more sex than I am. It's probably me um, <laughs> as a human being. And so I think, yeah, if you, don't, if you try and say, oh, imagine if you took out that part of your, your life, would you still be who you are? I'd be a completely different person. Sure. Um, but then what, what I find quite interesting about what you said there, it must have been slightly refreshing in a way that you realised that it was something to do with like your personality and... And, and maybe personal hygiene yeah. because they're things you can do a lot more about. Yes, I had know? a shower last night. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I... Um, yes, no, it was, a, it was a very big thing for me and it, and it all happened when I started playing basketball and I, I met other disabled... a lot more other disabled people. Yeah. Um, and... We, yeah, and that, and that is a huge thing. But weirdly, even though I had quite a bit of success... Um, before comedy, it was really comedy that sort of helped me. It was I was not at my like lowest before comedy, but um, there was something missing. There was something missing, and I'm I'm certainly a lot more confident um, now than I've ever been. Um, even though my dad always said that as a kid I had a confidence problem that I had too much <laughs> confidence, um, but I'm certainly more confident now than I've ever been in terms of my ability to deal with life um and make you know and social situations and be popular and or, popular is the wrong word but like likable and all that kind of stuff yeah um but i remember being playing basketball particularly and i i was quite successful at basketball i, I played for great Britain under 23s um something i'm very proud of but uh it wasn't uh, a positive mental state that I was in at the time. Right. Um, I was sort of hung up on a girl and I found that however hard I tried at basketball, I wasn't getting to where I wanted to get to. And, and ultimately my goals were set maybe just a little bit too high. I see. And so every time I'd fall short of them, I'd get more and more upset and I didn't know how to deal with that particularly well. I got very angry. I punched the floor, strained my wrist. That was uh, not ideal for a basketball player. Uh, two weeks out for punching a floor. Um, and yeah, and so it was one of those things that with comedy, it's a real sort of turning point in terms of 
like genuinely feeling much more confident within myself. Yeah. And it's quite an interesting thing because I've always thought that like getting up on stage and talking about yourself and, and quite deeply sometimes about, you know, the, at the mm. time we were quite dramatic. Yeah. yeah. But now you can laugh at them. Yeah. There's, and times have got healer for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think it's also, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day because at the time of the recording, the Avengers has just come out and sort <laughs> of, uh, I'm quite a big Marvel movie guy. Uh, I like them he's a lot. Just, he's just trying to rally up some fans uh, now. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love it. I wish I was Thor. Anyway, but like, I'm a big fan of that, but I'm a massive, massive fan of Harry Potter. And I have been since I was 10. Um, Evident- and- evidently on your, on, on your last year's shows. Well, that's the thing. So... I I loved Harry Potter from... So my uncle bought it. For, he bought me the Harry Potter audio tapes for my 10th birthday. Cool. Um, and I play it on my hi-fi. And I loved it from the moment I listened to it. But it was always a secret. And it was something that I kept very secret for a long time. I had my best friend, John. We would talk about it because I knew he liked it and I liked it and we would talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But I would not talk about it to anybody else. And I listened to them every night before I go to bed, right? I have done for about 10, 15 years. But I wouldn't tell anybody that until I started doing comedy. And it was only... I had this silly little joke at the beginning of my set which was about Harry Potter. Uh, and at the beginning, I thought, well, how can I get into this? I went, oh, are there any fans of Harry Potter? Give me a share. And literally, for about a year... Every single, every single night I asked that question, there would be a cheer. And okay. it was at that point where I realised that <laughs> maybe it isn't this incredibly like weird yeah. thing that I shouldn't like be able to admit to. <laughs> and so I started talking about it a bit more. And obviously, because I was so ingrained in the world that I know it so well that I'm able to make good jokes about it and so I did do my I did do a show last year all about Harry Potter and how much I love it and whether or not I love it more than my girlfriend um, <laughs> and uh, so you, you you um you came out as a Harry Potter fan it was yeah, a very profound yeah, yeah. dramatic I came thing. out of the cl- cupboard under the stairs it was <laughs> yeah, exactly, a very yeah. big moment for yeah. me yeah exactly yeah I missed that punchline you got that one there before me that is the difference between me and Aaron, yeah, Aaron I mean, Simmons <laughs> yeah if there's if there's a Harry Potter joke I will nail it like yeah. the, I don't I don't want to big myself up too much but there are uh, yeah. the problem was I was one of the reasons why I did the show last year is I was like right, I want to just get all the Harry Potter jokes out of my system and then I can concentrate on just doing a show that is all about me and this year I've written five new Harry Potter jokes going into this show so um yeah, it's not ideal. Um, how, are you, how are you going to relate coconuts to... Well, the so the show Disabled Coconut is all about the strangest year of my life. And so there are, are things that happened oh, during that year uh, that are related to Harry Potter. So, a small technicality, but he's got himself around it. Yeah, so, technically, so there's a story where um, I'm sitting in my pants watching TV and they're Harry Potter pants. And it's, it's a joke that I didn't realise until this year okay um uh and i'm not going to tell you the punchline the, the joke no don't know so funny you're gonna to have to come um, down to um one of the fringe festivals yeah. and see it so i asked this question to many many comedians um often get similar answers they don't always make the final cut but if as a as a storytelling comedian have you got any like techniques or attributes that you'd you'd um like advice like a storytelling comedian to to take on or to study maybe 
So I didn't start as a storytelling comedian. Quite common. Uh, it's the way I've always been funny in day-to-day life, and that's the reason why I've got into it. And like it, the fact that my life provides these situations that are funny means that I fell, in, <laughs> fell into it, you several palsy wanker. Anyway, uh, no, <laughs> I, uh, I did sort of fall into it. But the... The biggest advice that I can give, and generally, not just storytelling, is record yourself and be critical and be honest with yourself. Because one of the things that, you know, is very true is when you're on stage, you get a rush of adrenaline, you get dopamine going through your body, you're having the time of your life, and you can think that you're doing brilliantly, and the chances are you're probably doing okay. Um, one of the things that I find quite useful, and you do need to ask their permission first, is try and record... If you are watching someone on the bill and you think they are killing it, record them. Okay? Record them um, from the same place you are going to record your set from. Because once you do that, you can then record your set and genuinely see who is being funnier. And that is a much more... um, arbitrary way of seeing it and a much more objective way of seeing it than the subjectivity that you're going to have from your own mind and it was only um when i did the bbc that i was actually able to realize that's the case so when i did the bbc i was on first i was opening and i did i did very well i was very happy with how i did um in the heats and i thought well i've done great there but everyone will do the same and then i came downstairs it was the comedy store manchester so we were there's a siren going off. Can you hear that? Maybe. I don't know. Who cares? Uh, so we were backstage and you could watch it on TV. Um, and, you know, I, I saw the next guy and the next guy and they were all doing really well. And one guy got like three applause breaks. And I was like, well, he's definitely going through. But it was... Uh, and then when it got to it, um, I got th- I, I won the night and they put me through straight through to the, set, uh, to the final. But it was only when I listened back to it on the radio where it was completely uh, objective, uh, I could then say, oh, that makes sense why I went through. I was the funniest on the night or the person they wanted to hear most on the night. And so I think that's genuinely very good advice. I'd say um, don't try and guess what the the audience is going to think is funny. Just do what you think is funny. And, and stick with that? Uh, but, well, if it dies on its ass every single time you try it, yeah, maybe yeah. get rid of it. But like, if you aren't enjoying what you're talking about, if you feel like talking about couches is not uh, particularly interesting to you, don't do it. If you, It doesn't matter if you've got this brilliant bit. If you're not enjoying it, it the audience isn't going to enjoy it as well. And I just think the more... Uh, you try and enjoy yourself embrace it be present so if something does happen talk about it like it it i remember the first sort of 10 times i tried to do an improv it died on its ass but i learned what worked and what didn't and and there was a period where every gig i did i was like right i'm going to start the, the gig with improv which is such a risky strategy that i wouldn't recommend for everyone but the reason why i told myself to do it was twofold. It was one is because my my material and what I talk about is quite set in terms of it's quite it's not going to have just come up. So it's very rarely that you'll be in a comedy club and be like, "Hey, Peter was just talking about being in a wheelchair." 
I know all about like that very rarely happens yeah, yeah, so yeah. I felt like if I was going to improvise about anything it would have had to be at the start and it doesn't make sense to be talking about wheelchairs do a bit of improv and then go back to talking about wheelchairs particularly because with with such a with such a set when you're talking about wheelchairs or yeah. such difficult things yeah. once you've got them on the side you've got to keep them on that exactly, side exactly yeah it's just yeah. weird to jump off and then b- jump back on again and the other thing that I thought about doing an improv um, which I thought think is very true and it's still something that I try and do to this day is if you can prove that you're not just you've not just got funny material but you are a funny person they will buy whatever you are selling them for the next 10 minutes so if you go on stage and you tell a joke that is specific to that room or to that gig or the the guy in the front row's job whatever it is if you just have a good joke straight off the bat they'll they instantly warm to you. They instantly yeah. think, well, this guy is just a funny guy. I want to listen to what he has to say for 10 minutes. And it makes such a difference to people's opinion of whether something is funny or not is how long people have had to think about it. I see. Now, I'm not a big fan of improv as an as a improv comedy, but it will always get a better reaction than stand-up comedy because people's thought process is he's thought about that for months and months and months. Yes. Whereas it's, it's the same with political and, and topical comedy will always get more because it's recent. And if you're telling something that is two weeks old, then people are like, oh my God, he's thought about that within the last two weeks. That's fresh. That's brand new. Whereas if you're talking about a story that's happened to you 10 years ago, people are like, but he's been working on that for 10 years. Of course yeah. it's funny. Yeah. So if you can make a joke off the bat that is about the room, as I say, just something that you see or notice. Um, or even it can be as silly as how you got onto the stage. And that's why and that's why a lot of people go down the MCing route because you're forced to do such things anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It does... Uh, MCing made me a lot better as a comic. Yeah. Um, and it was something that even now when I get in a bit of a funk, I, I try and book myself in some MC work just so it loosens me out and I know that there's the pressure is not to be tearing it to pieces but just sort of 7 out of 10 making sure everyone's having a good time and then bring on the act so that they can go 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 yeah. and so um, yeah so it's, it's quite a nice thing just to sort of try and play around and I find that it is quite a nice way to develop ideas and, and new material is you know you talk to someone and they've got a funny story they're not yeah. a comedian you can yeah. have that story um, so yeah it's quite a nice to do i'd recommend emceeing to people who don't do it so now being a professional comedian and you've yep. been going for a, a bit of time and things have moved quite quickly for you and yeah, yeah. clearly seeing some of the success of your hard work and everything mm-hmm. what's what's your next plan what's your next step yeah so it's a big question so edinburgh 2019 is is the big thing for me uh i am doing aaron simmons disabled coconut at the underbelly at dexter um 1 in the afternoon every day apart from like Monday the 12th or something, please buy tickets. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of tickets to sell. Um, but yes, I'm doing that, and that's what I'm really focusing on at the minute. After that, it is going to be a bit of a, a ch- gear change in terms of writing the next show because I've been working on this show for the the show itself exclusively for two years of what it was. Um, but I've also been working on you know, some of the bits for the show for sort of a bit longer than that. So next year's show is going to be from a blank piece of paper. 
Okay. And that is a lot harder to write from. Um, and so, yeah, I've got to think of some funny ideas. I, I sort of know what I would like the show to be about, uh, but it's just whether or not I do it like that or not. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the real idea. And then just keep gigging, keep getting better. Um, I, I will be sort of gigging a lot more around the country over the next sort of six months, year after Edinburgh, because I won't have a day job um, anymore. And so I won't necessarily need to be home ready for work for nine o'clock in the morning. So um, it will be a nice sort of change. And, you know, it's just whether or not I can still afford to eat. uh, (laughs) It's fine. There's plenty of weather spoons around. Exactly. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a, go to Tesco and build a sandwich kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, Ginsters. Well, no, just like get some of the chicken, get like the 40p bread, oh, yeah. Yeah. smush them together. That's, that's going to be nicer than the Weatherspoons. Yeah, and cheaper. Yeah. And less likely to get beaten up. <laughs> Although those people in Tesco, if you get in the way of the meal deal, whoa, They do get out. angry. Yeah. They also get annoyed when you don't scan an item properly. Um, I don't understand why the, the bag in area never expects the item I'm trying to scan, especially when it's a bag. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I I find those things that are very generous to me. I think I could. Aye. I think I could get away. Well, you're a lucky with, man. Well, you yeah. S- you see, you've been marginalised and and <laughs> as a disabled person. Well, I I get a snotty fourteen year old snowflake comes up to me and tells me that I'm killing the world. Yeah, he's the same guy that goes around spraying painting of cock and bollocks around potholes. So he's a good man. Yeah, I mean, I've got infinite amount of time for anyone who has ever drawn a cock and balls on anything. I've, like, got, I've got an entire, I've got an entire set about this. Um, oh, brilliant! Then I yeah. won't steal your stuff. But yeah. kudos to whoever that is. Who, who do you think was the first person to do? That? <laughs> because Julius Caesar. I well, know. yeah, I mean that. But like, can you imagine that? It yeah. must have been the Romans because in the they Romans, loved co- they yeah, loved they loved cock. cock. It was yeah. okay if you're the emperor and you would do it because it's it was you're more of a person to have someone serving you to do such a thing. Huh. Um, I know way too much about this than I should. Yeah, but it's interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm very on board with it. So I reckon, I reckon if you go back, there was a cock and bollocks. Uh, uh, in a Roman, like maybe not, maybe not like in one of the ruins that is still there, but like, it, you know how, here's, here's my Marvel nerdiness coming out. You know in Thor Ragnarok, yes. where uh, there's the, the mural of, Odin and Thor, uh-huh. and then uh, Thor's sister, Helena, is that her name? I think so. Uh, you, you could be shot down for I this. I know, I, I should have you've, just gone with Thor's yeah. sister and I would have been fine. You've gained, you've gained some fans today, but you may have just lost I've, them. <laughs> I've lost them all. I'm so sorry if that's wrong. She chucks the, the spear up at it, and it's, it's her and Odin, and they're like destroying the world. I think that's what it would be like in the Roman Empire, like it'll be like all these classical paintings of like these Roman empires and then you like dig away at them and then behind them it's just a massive cock and balls and that <laughs> is what I want for the Roman architect and that's why I've never been to Rome because I already know what's there um, thank you so much for joining me Aaron pleasure I'm glad we left you on such a high tone So that was Aaron Simmons, an absolute class act indeed, and you can catch his brand new show, Disabled Coconut, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. That will be running at Bristow Square from the 31st of July until the 26th of August at 1.30pm throughout. A link to where you can buy tickets and all the ways you can follow him on the social medias are in the episode notes. My conversation next week is with the amazing Louise Atkinson. 
So please be sure to keep an eye out for that because that's going to be a great one too. As usual, please subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. Tell your friends about it. And you can also donate to the podcast at lukeantonycomedy.co.uk forward slash TCO podcast. There's a donate button there. You can hit that and a couple of quid is most welcome. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. That's at Luke A. Comedian for all of those. And if you want to see me perform at any of my gigs, they are listed on my website, which is lukeantonycomedy.co.uk. See you later. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.